Scared to Death is explicit in every way. Please take care while listening. Whether thou art a ghost that hath come from the earth, or a phantom of night that hath no heart, or one that lieth dead in the desert, or a ghost unburied, or a demon, or a ghoul, whatever thou be until thou art removed, thou shalt find here no water to drink. Thou shalt not stretch forth thy hand to our own. Into our house enter thou not. Through our fence break through thou not. We are protected, though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal, though we may be scared to death. Welcome to Scared to Death, Peeps, Peepers, Roberts, and Annabelles. I'm Dan. Hello, Dan. I'm Lindsay. Hello, Lindsay. Hello, sir. Uh, quick, uh, quick apology to our Roberts and Annabelles for not having this episode done in advance for the early release ad-free that we do on Patreon. Uh, I'll take the blame. Before we left for vacation two weeks ago, I thought we were an extra episode ahead than we actually were. Mm-hmm. I knew we were ahead far enough to make it to vacation, but I thought we were one more episode beyond that mm-hmm. and didn't realize that until... Uh, uh, Lindsay started getting Patreon messages. And then I was so like, sorry about that. I was like, Dan, what the fuck? You, you said we were good to go. You said we were ready for vacation. I tried to send you back oh, home. I tried to kick you out of our vacation. Oh, geez. And then you were just everywhere I was. But this will still come out a little early, but just obviously not as early as no. it normally will. But we'll, we'll, we're but, recording. But listen, listen, we're going to fix yeah. it. Yeah, we're, we're recording a uh, uh, the next one just the day after we record this one. So we'll be back on track. Back on track. A uh, couple quick announcements, and then the show. Very cool new tea in the Bad Magic store today. New Hellraiser design featuring some kind of demon uh, building rings of fire, perhaps uh, circles of hell. You can head on over to badmagicmerch.com and check that out. It looks awesome and fits with the theme of today's episode. Actually, uh, since both my stories are, uh, I don't know, demon-ish. Oh, okay. Or the, not directly, but there's some, you know, could be. Mm. Could be some could be some stuff there. Okay. Uh, and then this month, uh, our donation, uh, it, Lindsay is going to uh, talk about uh, Lifting Hands International, and we were going to have the uh, donation amount, but we'll have that next week. Yeah, sorry, that one's my fault. Dan was like, <laughs> "Hey, can you get that number together?" Oh, then we sat down to record. I was like, <gasps> "One vacation throws uh, the rhythm off of everything." I know it is weird how like you just fall into all your patterns and routines, and then yep. I'm like, I don't. I don't even know what to do right now. <laughs> so bizarre. Well, anyways, this month, this month, our donation will be going to Lifting Hands International. Their mission is uh, providing aid to refugees, both home and abroad. No politics, simply humanitarian. Uh, they've been boots on the ground in Moldova mm-hmm. and Romania, aiding and uh, evacuating. I almost said excavating, evacuating Ukrainians. If you're looking to help those in crisis in Ukraine, please visit liftinghandsinternational.org and look for the urgent Ukraine banner yes. at the top of the page. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, and then what kind of stories do you have to try and scare me with today? Well, I have a military base haunting, which we haven't had one of those in a while. We yeah, went we've through, had like, several, but not in a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've been uh, uh, a little scattered throughout. And then... That's actually perfect timing as I have a Black Rifle t-shirt and I'm drinking uh, from a Black Rifle coffee cup. I also have a Black Rifle coffee cup. Man, so... I, I got mine first. We didn't even, we didn't even plan that story oh, with, uh, with all this. We didn't. Look at us go. Uh, And then my second story is more of like less spoopy and more confirmation. I think it's a really fun tale that takes place at a college and uh, multiple people kind of experiencing something interesting, letting letting us know something's there. Uh, Okay, so my uh, second story, I'll start actually with there. Uh, 19th century, primarily London-based tale of the boogeyman known as Spring Hill Jack. 
Uh, very odd and interesting. Never uh, heard of it. Hard to figure out exactly what the hell was going on with this entity. There could be a lot of things. Uh, gave a lot of kids and quite a few grown-ups as well, it seems, nightmares back in Victorian England. And then the first story I have, I think, is one of the scarier stories uh, I've told in a while. Uh, a man in Missouri pulled into a dark mystery in his new home. Nightmares become real. Uh, I feel like this one might stick with some listeners for a bit. Ew. Uh, glad we don't have an old cellar, uh, or this might uh, keep you from going down there for quite a while, if not ever. I was reading so many fan stories over vacation. I was trying to like catalog stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, cellar, cellar. And so and then when you like mentioned something, then I think of a tale. I'm like, is that in this week's story? My brain cannot yeah. connect the dots, but I know I have a cellar story coming up. <laughs> um, are you ready to uh, to get going? I'm going to jump right into the story when I start. Oh. So if you have socks to share, you got to share them. Look at these banana socks. Check these babies <laughs> out. I don't know where they Those came from, funny. but they're pretty funny. And they even have a sticker, like a Chiquita banana sticker. And it says top banana number 4011. And they have like little grippies on the bottom or something. I know. Somebody wrote a story in... Uh, that's something about like, uh, I, I've never wanted to tell this tale to people because I'm afraid that my friends will send me to a place where they'll make me wear grippy socks. <laughs> I thought that was such a funny way to think about like a mental health institute. They also have grippy socks for sex specifically now. We talked about, I talked about with Joe or something. I was like, what? Like, like marketed for that. So that like, like performance, performance socks for sex. Performance socks. Mm -hmm, so you have plenty of grip. Okay. Mm-hmm. Make, I mean, it, make that what you will. All right. Well, let's move on. <laughs> uh, all right. Going to jump right in here. So this, uh, the following account left in a forum by an anonymous poster. Time now for the tale of the girl in the cellar. Before I tell you what happened, I suppose I should tell you how I got to where this all went down. It was late 2009. I just bought a house in between Springfield and Fairgrove, Missouri. I got it for cheap. Prices were already down in the area. After the housing bubble popped, they were rock bottom. The previous owner was a middle-aged widower, and he died back in 2006. The house then passed to his daughter, estranged, I guess, who didn't keep up with payments, and when I came across the listing, it was about to fall into foreclosure. Never thought I'd be able to pay all cash for several acres. I'm not, nor have I ever been a rich man, but I did all right saving my money, I guess, and I got it done. The house on the property was small, just a 2-1, only about 1,200 square feet, and no one would call it stylish, but plenty big and nice enough for a man of minimal needs living alone who didn't plan on doing a lot of entertaining. I don't have kids. I was only married but once, and briefly at that. I've been divorced almost 20 years at this point, and I've always liked quiet and privacy. I retired recently, a bit earlier than I thought I was going to be able to. I'd worked for a little over 32 years up at St. Louis Assembly, a Chrysler factory in Fenton, mostly helping make minivans. But then they abruptly closed shop and moved the whole operation up to Canada. I got a good severance package out of the deal, though, so no complaints. I got to retire before the age of 60, something I never thought I'd be able to do, giving me plenty of good years to get after all that Ozark bass, crappy, and walleyes I could handle. The property, minus, of course, what I ended up going through on it, was great. Has a little Palm de Tar River running through it, more of a small stream where I lived and not much good for fishing, but still peaceful to look at and listen to. Long dirt driveway ran up the little one story ran up to the little one story house. I guess it used to be a guest house. There was a larger main house on the property, but it had burned down a couple years prior, leaving nothing but the concrete and stone foundation and the old dirt floor cellar. The cellar was still intact, shut off by a heavy metal door. I thought that door was pretty odd, but the realtor explained it was built as a tornado evacuation room of sorts, which made sense to me. Now I don't think that's why it was built uh, at all. The first couple months I spent in that house were pretty peaceful. 
other than getting some serious heebie-jeebies when I checked out that old cellar. It was cold down there. Way too cold. I figured it would probably be cooler than it was outside, but not like that. And it was more than just temperature. It just didn't feel good. Sorry, I'm not a wordsmith. I don't know how else to describe it. It made me feel bad. Scared, maybe is a better word. I was thinking about using it for storage before that, but after one trip, I decided I'd just leave it be. I bought a lock for it so I wouldn't have to worry about anyone sneaking down there and squatting. And then under normal circumstances, I would have put it out of my mind entirely, but within a few weeks, I started having these dreams. Real vivid dreams. And I had never really been a dreamer before. In my new dreams, at first, I'd just be down there in that cellar, digging. Always digging. Shovel in my hand, always in the same corner. Same dream nearly every night. Then after a few weeks or so of this recurring dream, sometimes now I'd hear this woman's voice telling me to keep digging. Keep digging. Thought these dreams were weird, a bit creepy, but nothing too scary. Not yet. But they wouldn't go away. And then the dream changed to me standing outside in between the house I slept in and the remains of the old main house. And now I'd hear screaming. God-awful screaming. I can still hear it. I'd be standing out there in the dark, and there would be a light on in that old cellar, as if the place still had electricity. There certainly isn't a light bulb in there now. I'd be standing there, wondering how there was a light down there, and that's when I'd hear that woman scream. And sometimes I thought I'd hear a man saying something to her. And I just knew that man was the reason she was screaming. He was hurting her. No more dreams now. Now I was having full-blown nightmares. They'd wake me up in the middle of the night. The sound of her screams would send me sitting bolt upright in bed. And then the damnedest thing happened. I dreamt I was laying in my own bed when I was woken by that scream. And I swung my legs, legs out of bed and started walking outside. When I made it to my front, out my front door, I could see that the light that used to be in the cellar was on again. The one that's not supposed to be there anymore. And now I could hear that man yelling at her. What he was saying, I couldn't quite make out, but it wasn't good. I know that. He was hurting her. So now I start picking up my speed, kind of running towards that cellar door, running to go try and help her. I swing it open, head down the stairs, and there she is. She's tied up, chained to the wall. And well, I don't even want to say what he was doing to her. And she's screaming. And my heart is pounding. And then he turns and looks at me. There's murder in his eyes. Evil eyes. He's got a knife in his hand, and now he lunges for me. And I'm convinced I'm going to die in that cellar. And that's when I wake up. But I don't wake up in my bed this time. That's the real crazy part. I woke up in that damn cellar. I had been sleepwalking. And now I'm just standing down there alone in my underwear in the dark. How did I even get in? I know that the door was locked. Did I unlock it in my sleep? I guess I could have, but I don't think that's what happened. I think something else unlocked it. I'm spooked as hell now, and I move my big butt back up the stairs. I really didn't like the way it felt down there. It was even colder than before, and I was worried if I stayed too long, I'd see that man in real life. Or maybe that woman, or one of their ghosts, or something else. I was worried for a second that I wouldn't be able to get out, that the door was still locked somehow, and now I'd be trapped with no phone, no one to hear me scream for help, and no one coming by anytime soon. I can't tell you how relieved I felt when I pushed that door open and skedaddled back into my house. I was spooked, real, real spooked. And that's not normal for me. At least it didn't used to be. I lived alone most of my life, and it never bothered me to do so. I was never one to really go for ghost stories or scary movies, but if I did read one or watch one, it never really got me too worked up. But I was worked up now. I had a hell of a time falling back to sleep that night. I was worried I might wake up in that cellar again. I never did figure out what happened to the lock I put on the door. The next day I went to Fellows Lake, did some fishing, cleared my mind. Felt good to get a whole bunch of sunshine. 
Caught some big walleyes, too. I fished almost until sundown. Truth be told, I wasn't looking forward to heading back home. That night, I watched some comedy to try and put my head in a good place before I went to sleep. One of those old Ernest movies. Ernest goes to jail, maybe. I always loved that guy. I felt pretty good when I went to bed, and I was real tired from a long day in the sun and not too much sleep the night before. When I did fall asleep, I slept hard until I had that damn nightmare again. Same dream, same exact dream. And I woke up once again in that cellar. But this time, it didn't feel like I was alone in the cellar. When I woke up heart pounding completely in the dark, I thought I heard something move in the corner where the woman from my dream had been chained up. I thought I heard a chain move. I was worried I'd hear her scream and I hightailed it out of there again. It was four o'clock in the morning, same time as the night before when it happened actually. And now I brewed a pot of coffee and stayed up until sunrise. And the next morning, after heading into Fairgrove to grab some breakfast and be around people who weren't screaming or trying to hurt somebody, I came home, grabbed a big flashlight and a lantern, and I went and explored that cellar a bit. I had goosebumps before I even opened the door, but I had to go in. I had to try and figure out why I couldn't stop thinking about that place. I felt like I was going crazy. Once I walked down inside of it, I went over to that corner where the woman was, and I found marks on the wall where something had clearly once been bolted to it. The chain, I guessed. I knew in my gut that a chain had been anchored there to that wall. And then I felt a powerful urge to start digging, and I thought about going to grab my shovel and do exactly that, but then that metal door slammed shut. I about died right there of a heart attack. It was not a windy day, and even if it had been, no way a gust of wind was going to slam a big door shut like that. Then I felt a presence of some kind in the cellar with me. I'm certain I was not alone at that moment. I head up the stairs in the dark, feeling certain something's going to touch me at any moment, and when I try to open the door, it won't budge, like it's locked. I start to panic and push on the door with everything I have, and then after a few seconds, thank God it pops open and I about tumble onto the ground. Now I'm scared, truly scared. There was no reason for the door to stick like that. I didn't know what to do. I thought about grabbing a motel room in Springfield for the night, just get away and have some time to think. But then what? I just bought the place. I wasn't going to sell it. Outside of my nightmares in that cellar, I loved it. Then I had an idea. What if I put a chair in front of my bedroom door at night, make it hard for me to sleepwalk on out of there? What if I tied a bell to the door handle? Maybe the noise would wake me up. So that's what I did. It took me a few hours in Springfield to find a damn bell, but I didn't have much going on that day anyway. And it kept me away from the cellar. After watching a Royals game on TV that night and relaxing with a few beers and trying not to stare out towards the cellar every few minutes, convinced I'd see a light on down there, I went to bed. I put the bell on the door handle, blocked the door with a chair, and settled in. And of course, slipped right back into the same damn nightmare. And impossibly, I would wake up in that cellar again. Oh my God. I'd somehow move the chair and the bell in my sleep or something moved it for me. Just like the past two nights, I walked out my front door. I could see the light on in that cellar. I could hear the man yelling. I ran towards the cellar door, swung it open, headed down the stairs. She's chained to the wall, just like always. He's hurting her. She's screaming. He turns and looks at me with those evil eyes. He lunges for me with a knife in hand, and right before it plunges into my neck, I wake up in the dark. But this time, this time it's not as dark as before. I can see around me. The cellar door is still open. It's a full moon outside, clear skies, and now I see her. I see the shadowy shape of the woman from my dreams in the corner. She walks towards me. I can hear her dragging a chain, and when she reaches the end of her chain, she screams so loud. It felt like it was coming from inside my head. Drop me to my knees. I shut my eyes, put my hands to my ears, and when the scream fades a bit, I open my eyes, and her face is inches from my own. Help me! She screams into my head. Find me! Dig! Then she vanishes. 
Suddenly I'm not scared anymore. I'm overcome with a powerful urge to dig again. And this time I do. I say, okay, I'll find out, out loud to the darkness around me, as if I'm talking to a real live person. Get the fuck out! I go and grab a lantern and a shovel and come back. And I start digging in that corner. Oh my god. And before the sun comes up, I hit something. I found some bones. Human bones. I dig a little more to be certain and then stop. My eyes are full of tears now. It all happened. My nightmare had been some young woman's real life. The end of her life. She died there. I knew it. With the same certainty, I knew my own name. I called the police and they came out and finished the dig. It was a crime scene now. From what the officer from the sheriff's department told me later, they were able to identify her. A 19-year-old from Kansas City who'd gone missing about five years earlier. And based on where she was found and some local suspicions, I guess, they were pretty certain that the former owner, another man who lived here alone, had been the one to kill her. I've never been able to find a picture of that guy, but if I do, I have no doubt he will look exactly like the man from my nightmares. After the poor young woman's bones were taken out of that cellar, I swear it immediately returned to a normal temperature. All the bad energy seemed to leave with her, or at least most of it. I still hated that place. I couldn't stop thinking about what had happened to her, so I got rid of it all. Not having a lot else to do and never being afraid of some hard work, I rented out an old jackhammer, busted up all that rock and concrete, hauled it all away, then had the old cellar filled in with dirt. It's my vegetable garden now. Something good growing out of where something bad happened. I know it's a little weird, but I call it Dorothy's Garden, name of the girl who died down there. And I think about her whenever I eat something I pick from it. It's peaceful, as is the rest of my life now, I guess. No more nightmares, just fishing and the quiet. Maybe the Royals games, maybe some Ernest movies. Dorothy found peace, and now I have it too. Yeah! Eek. That makes me think of, um, oh, the nurse, the... Um, the Somebody killed her. She was a, a nurse. And then, you know, she oh, comes oh, back. Oh, 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 um, oh. Not Ernestina. It. That's not no. it. Um, oh, oh, oh. Oh, shoot. It'll come to you. You know who I'm talking about. And so she. It's a, it's a horror movie we watched, right? No, it's a story you told here. She... Oh, yes. I was thinking of um, uh, a separate, a separate uh, uh, an old movie. But um, yes. Uh, oh, my gosh. Ernestina. It's not Ernestina, no. though. No. It's, now I'm blanking on It's something on it. like that, but she... Faso. Dang it. I can't... It'll, it'll come to you in your... Teresita Basso. Teresita Basso. Because Ernest goes... The Ernest reference? Uh, I had Ernestina Faso. <laughs> Teresita Basso. Yes. Teresita Basso. Isn't it Basso? I thought it was Basso. Well, regardless... You know what? You're right. It is Basso. I had huh. it all messed up because of the, the story. Teresita Basso. Look at me correcting you and being mm-hmm. right. So now yep. people out there can stop complaining when I correct you. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's a, it's a real thing, Dan. Oh, boy. Um, but yeah, it just made me think of that, how like she dies and then she comes back. Yes. Comes back. I mean, she, she her spirit... And that other lady, yeah. Right. She intervenes dreams. in this mm-hmm. woman's dreams to oh, yeah. help solve her own case. So, I mean... Mm-hmm. Two times now that we're hearing stories like that, it makes yeah, yeah, it feel yeah. even more plausible. Mm-hmm. I mean, not that I think that this person's lying or, and that other case is so well documented. Right, exactly. But still. So if you murder me, <laughs> they'll find you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just so you know. Uh, no picture is attached to the story, but this is what I'm picturing with that cellar situation. Some door that kind of looked like this, yeah. right? With the end that goes down into the foundation. Like beneath mm-hmm. it, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, house above it, obviously totally gone in, the, in this story. Uh, this next picture, another one with stonework around it. So probably this would maybe be a closer to what oh, it looked like. Oh, yeah, yeah. Except not wooden doors. 
Right, but with the yeah, the metal doors before and that kind of entrance. Ooh, that gives me chills thinking about that. Oh, be like trapped in there. And then this next one is uh, what I imagine the inside of that dirt floor cellar to look like. Mm-hmm. Some like stone room like that. Mm-hmm. Yeek. You, I, you didn't grow up having to do any sort of like tornado drills or anything, did you? No, we had <laughs> uh, my grandma or grandma, grandpa, and my great grandma had, had cellars, but just to like store you know, jarred fruit and stuff. Right, like... It would never need to be used in a tornado. There's no tornadoes that go through Riggins. Right, right. That's what I was thinking. Like, because when Mm. I grew up, we always had tornado drills and fire drills at school. And now, you know, seeing those pictures and then thinking about this, right, growing up in the Midwest, like, tornadoes were absolutely a real thing. Not so much up by Cleveland, like, further south. But we definitely did not have a cellar, and I don't know anybody that had one. Yeah, my my grandparents had a hand-dug cellar. So it was kind of like the one you couldn't even stand up fully. I feel like you had to. I feel like what you were a little that? hunched over. Hand dug just means um, like literally dug out by yeah, hand, like with a shovel. But like sure, yeah. I didn't think that they were scooping it out with their <laughs> bare hands. But yeah, but like shovel, like like no concrete floor, no and like like the floor is just the dirt underneath the house. Is that what you would call what they have at your grandma's house right now? No, no, because that one's concrete. They poured that one, and that and that one just the oh, it's way just the so house dirty sits down there. Up. I thought there was a dirt floor down there. Mm. Am I crazy? Oh man. Grandma better not listen to this episode. <laughs> I assure you, she won't. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's dusty, all not dirty. Like, oh, yeah, you never yeah, clean yeah. it. It's, it's a basement cellar situation. No, it's all. Uh, it was poured into the foundation. Got it. Got it. And I, I never really knew cellars to be a real thing until mm. your family. I mean, obviously, I've heard of them, but yeah. where I grew up, nobody had them. It wasn't a common thing. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe because like more like city, less gardening. Yeah, and I don't know how it's defined technically, like the difference between a cellar and a basement. But, mm. but basement, I always just picture it's like another floor of the house mm-hmm. where bedrooms, bathrooms could be, all those things, carpeted, you know, that's, that's generally, not always, sometimes it's like concrete floor. Cellar is, in my mind, always smaller mm-hmm. and generally just used for like storage. Typically, yeah. typically like uh, food, food storage. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Interesting. A little like it's cooler down there. And when people I think I think of them as being older, didn't have as many refrigerators and stuff, they would store like potatoes and different things from their gardens so it wouldn't spoil as quick. Man, I cannot think of one generation of my family that ever gardened or did mm. those kinds of things. Like by the time I was born, my parents were obviously living in very mod not obviously. They were living in very yeah. modern, like city type housing, you know, and then before that, like my grandparents, um, my mom's mom and dad. They just lived in a regular house with no garden and mm-hmm. they had a basement, but no cellar. And I've never asked my parents like prior to that, like their great grandparents, but I don't think that that no. is something that was a tradition in my family to have gardens and to yeah. really harvest the land. And well, they were in the city there in Cleveland yeah. and in cities in Poland and Germany, probably, you know, yeah. in all likelihood where like my family just a couple generations back, you know, Idaho is still so rural, yeah. still so frontier-like when they mm-hmm. first lived out there that you didn't have the same amenities you would have east of the Mississippi. Yeah, I think the most I ever heard was my dad's mom, my grandma Tilly, her talking about her childhood, her parents, uh, because when my grandma would make um, these blankets that were stuffed with with feathers, like down Mm -hmm. blankets, Mm -hmm. and she was like, oh, well, you know, those blankets are from my childhood when we would have chickens, and then we would, you know, butcher the chicken, and we would use all the parts, and they'd use the feathers to stuff blankets. So that's the closest association that I could have to this. It, this story just like really makes me think about how different everyone's childhood is, how your experiences are different. Yeah. And like, you know, I wouldn't even go into a cellar. Like if we bought that property, <laughs> I would never have even gone into it. I would have said uh, like, get rid of it now. Cause funny. I would be 
freaked out by it because it's not anything I'm used to having. Hmm, yeah. It would just scare inherently scare me like a dark hole in the ground scares me. Yeah. I I be I'd be weirded out as much as I don't want to be, as much as I'd like to say, like, oh, I'd i go down there and play a Ouija board. No, I probably wouldn't. The fuck you would. <laughs> no, I'd be, but I'd go down there. But I'd be but it would but it would give me the heebie jeebies. I don't even think that you would really use a Ouija board in serious in a serious way. It really would have to hit me at the right moment, right time, but um, but yeah, it's, it's, part of my brain is like, get out of here. It was a board game invented by, you know, like made out of these spirit boards from the 19th. Like I know the history of it. Mm-hmm. Actually, I know the history pretty well of these spirit boards that became Ouija boards. And, and so part of me is like, oh, come on. It's like, uh, what is it? Parker Bradley or whatever. It's like this, uh, Milton, Milton Bradley. Bradley. Yeah. It's like, come on, it's just a game. But I know that if I actually started messing around with it, I would get weirded out. Well, people are going to bring Ouija boards to summer camp. Maybe that's when I'll try it. I'll try it. I won't. Yeah. Well, that was a great story. Okay, good. Yeah, I really, I really like that. And I love that he put the bells on the door and a chair under the door. Didn't I, work. I wrote that, but I wrote that down as like, okay, well, do you put a lock on the inside of your own door? Like, oh, do you yeah. lock yourself in your own bedroom? Or what could you do to try and alert yourself that you're sleepwalking? I'm so glad I'm not a sleepwalker. But, but it doesn't sound like he ever was. He wasn't before. either. And that's the thing yeah. too, is like, I don't know any of the science behind sleepwalking. I don't know what causes someone to sleepwalk. I don't remember either. It's like, a, I think it's, I think it's similar to lucid dreaming, mm. but it's like, you're like, um, kind of like, it's, I think it's actually similar to sleep paralysis, which is funny because that there you're like, you're not moving. Right. Other end of the spectrum. But in this one, it's, it's like that lucid dream. It's like that little, that weird world between waking and sleeping. I think when your body, cause your body is supposed to shut down your movement. Right. When it knows you're asleep. So you don't do exactly that. So you don't like, if you're moving around the dream, you don't hurt yourself. Right. But then sometimes the wires get crossed. And your body is moving as if you were awake, but your brain is asleep mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in all other ways. Yeah, it's very strange. Very strange. I think I would have put up like baby gates or something like in front <laughs> yeah. of all the doors. I would have gone baby really, gates, yeah. really far with trying to lock myself in that house. Yeah. Great story. Thank you. You should feel like getting away from modern scares and heading to England to meet an old Victorian, Victorian era boogeyman. Take me away. <laughs> Before we meet spring Jack, a mid-show sponsor break. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What are the things that weigh you down on a day-to-day basis? What kind of stress are you holding on to? Do you spend much of your day going over things in your brain over and over until they are so distracting it affects your mental health? Well, don't worry. You're not alone. We all carry different stressors, some big, some small. When we keep things bottled up, the results can be negative. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest without fear or judgment. It's a place to work through what is heavy on your mind and heart so that you can feel lighter and happier. I'm always holding on to something. It's the way my anxious brain works. I'm continually worried that I've done something wrong, that I've hurt the feelings of someone I love, and that I have let someone down. I'm stressed that I'm not being a good enough mom or wife. I panic that our life will implode at any given moment and it'll all be my fault. Thankfully, I have an amazing therapist who helps me talk through each of these scenarios. After each and every appointment, I feel lighter, happier, and more capable of showing up as my most authentic self. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash scared to death today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash scared to death. Looking for a new show to dive into? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new because Hulu has new stuff all the time. 
Like the full season of FX's epic limited series Shogun, FX's new international spy thriller The Veil, starring Emmy and Golden Globe winner Elizabeth Moss. And don't miss the all-new crime series Under the Bridge, inspired by shocking true events and starring Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu. Summer is just around the corner. Who's excited? I know I am. With the warmer, sunnier days calling your name, the last place you're going to want to be is in your kitchen, cooking, and meal prepping. Make your life easier with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Factors Never Frozen, Always Fresh Meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Think of all the extra time you will get outside in the summer sun when you aren't wasting hours in the kitchen. I think I speak for everyone when I say that the summer is the busiest time of the year. We are all trying to cram in as many things as possible, from concerts to vacations and everything in between. With Kyler home from college and Monroe on her break too, I want to spend as much time as possible with them. And while I truly love to cook, the summer is the one time of year that I'm the least interested in doing that for three meals a day. So I lean on Factor to help keep me healthy and in step with my diet. I'm obsessed with the honey yogurt pancakes for breakfast, the pork El Pastor for lunch, and the cilantro lime barramundi for dinner. So easy and saves me so much time. Head to factormeals.com slash scared to death 50 and use code scared to death 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code scared to death 50 at factormeals.com slash scared to death 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Thanks for listening to those sponsor deals, creeps and peepers. Now it's time for some uh, Spring Hill Jack, a little bit of setup before we get going. I'm sorry, is it Spring Hill or Spring Heel, like the heel of your foot? Like the heel of your foot, Spring Heeled Jack. Oh, healed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a very odd story here. To the right honorable the Lord Mayor, my Lord, the writer presumes that your Lordship will kindly overlook the liberty he has taken in addressing a few lines on a subject which, wait, did I actually, uh, okay, making sure I wasn't supposed to start the story there, because I was like, feels like we're good. Yeah, I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) I love you. (laughs) I'll back up that set. My Lord, the writer presumes that your Lordship will kindly overlook the liberty he has taken in addressing a few lines on a subject which, within the last few weeks, has caused much alarming sensation in the neighboring villages within three or four miles of London. It appears that some individuals, of, as the writer believes, the higher ranks of life, have laid a wager with the mischievous and foolhardy companion, name as yet unknown, that he durst not take upon himself the task of visiting many of the villages near London in the three different disguises of a ghost, a bear, and a devil. And moreover, that he will not dare to enter gentlemen's gardens for the purpose of alarming the inmates of the house. The wager has, however, been accepted, and the unmanly villain has succeeded in depriving seven ladies of their senses. At one house he rang the bell, and on the servant coming to open the door, this worse-than-brute stood in no less dreadful figure than the spectre, clad most perfectly. The consequences was that the poor girl immediately swooned, and has never from that moment been in her senses. But on seeing any man screams out most violently, Take him away! There are two ladies, which your lordship will regret to hear, who have husbands and children, and who are not, and who are not expected to recover, but likely to become burdens upon their families. For fear that your lordship might imagine that the writer exaggerates, he will refrain from mentioning other cases, if anything, more melancholy than those he has already related. The affair has now been going on for some time, and strange to say, the papers are still silent on the subject. The writer is very very unwilling to be unjust towards any man, but he has reason to believe that they have the whole history at their fingers' ends, but through interested motives are induced to remain silent. 
It is, however, high time that such a detestable nuisance should be put a stop to, and the writer feels assured that your lordship, as the chief magistrate of London, will take great pleasure in exerting your power to bring the villain to justice. Hoping your lordship will, mar will pardon the liberty I have taken in writing, I remain your lordship's most humble servant, a resident of Peckham. That's an early 19th century letter written in London regarding the subject of my second story today. And the, the, the writing, the word patterns they used back then are I so know. odd compared to it's, it's It's almost like it's been inverted completely uh, now. Yeah, yeah. So like the, the verb structure and everything, you're just like, wait, what? It is hard to listen to as opposed to read. If I could read it, I'd be mm -hmm. able to go slow and make more sense of it. Oh, yeah. So basically, uh, he thinks that somebody has uh, made a wager and talked to somebody uh, like on a bet, basically, or a dare, if you uh, is going around terrorizing women in London in disguise. Okay. Pretending to be a ghost, pretending to be a bear, pretending to be a devil. Got it. Uh, in Victorian England, among the dark, damp streets now made famous by Charles Dickens, before Jack the Ripper, there came another Jack, a fire-breathing devil man said to jump nine feet in the air. Some believed he was a demon. Others thought he was just an extraordinarily agile and cruel human. His legend survives today across literature and cinema alike. His sightings are legendary. His story inspired a fear among the people of England, the likes of which was rarely ever seen again. Time now for the tale of Spring-Heeled Jack. Reports of the wraith that would become Spring-Heeled Jack first occurred in London in 1837. In October of that year, a servant named Mary Stevens was walking to Lavender Hill, a shopping and residential street, she was returning from visiting her parents in Battersea, and she passed through Clapham Common, a park, a, uh, a park where a strange figure leapt out at her from an alley. He grabbed her tightly in his arms, kissed her face, ripped at her clothes with claws, which he described as cold and clammy as those of a corpse. Mary screamed as loudly as she could. The attacker fled the scene. Several residents searched for the suspect, but couldn't find it. The next day, the same figure jumped out in front of a carriage. The coach driver lost control, crashed, and injured himself. Witnesses at the scene reported that the assailant easily jumped over a nine-foot-tall wall to escape while cackling with a high-pitched, ringing laughter. More sightings would occur all over London, Midlands, and even into Scotland. As described in historian Mike Dash's exhaustive history of the figure's reported appearances, residents of London began to report bizarre attacks from a ghost, imp, or devil who was most often seen jumping along the rooftops of London after dark. Mainly attacking women, the entity would most often ring a doorbell, and then when someone would answer, it would ravage their clothes with its claws. Other sightings reportedly uh, reported it simply ambushing people who were out walking. Similar reports continued to trickle in throughout the rest of the year, with strange crimes being attributed to assailants in the guise of a ghost, a bear, and or a devil. Spring-heeled Jack had a terrifying and frightful appearance, a diabolical face, clawed hands, and eyes like red balls of fire. He most often appeared wearing a black cloak, a helmet, and a tight-fitting white garment. He appeared tall and thin, looked like a gentleman from a distance. Others reported the figure as wearing red shoes or armor. These disparate, uh, dis disparate reports uh, would eventually lead to the theory that this mysterious monster might have been a group of well-to-do men dressing up and scaring people on a bet. The descriptions were all over the place and so outlandish that when these tales hit the pages of the major London papers, Dash notes that most of the press was rightfully skeptical. The Lord Mayor of London, John Cohen, even held a press conference on January 9, 1838 to address the growing number of spring-heeled Jack stories, bringing up the theory that the attacks were perpetrated by a gang of wealthy young men. He read a letter from a concerned citizen and told the press that, uh, that the story was 
extraordinary if true. On January 11th, the Lord Mayor presented a pile of letters of other accounts of wicked pranks. One letter said that young women in Hammersmith were frightened into dangerous fits or severely wounded by a sort of claws the miscreant wore on his hands. The mayor believed all the stories were exaggerated, but admitted it was possible that the ghost performs the feats of a devil upon earth. And he promised to bring the attacker to justice, but he would never catch this thing. The mayor's press conference only added to the entity's growing legend. And as the papers reported more accounts, the devilish figure soon came to be known as Spring-Heeled Jack. As many of the reports involved the assailant leaping in front of or away from his victims in such a way that no mortal man would be capable of. Spring-Heeled Jack became an even, even, became an even more infamous villain after two of his most well-known attacks that both occurred the month following the mayor addressing sightings of the creature. Jane Alsop was attacked on February 19, 1838. It was around 9 p.m. when Jane heard loud ringing from her front doorbell. She answered the door, saw a man standing outside who identified himself as a police officer. He asked her to give him a light, claiming that uh, they had just caught spring Jack, saying, For God's sake, bring me a light, for we have caught spring Jack here in the lane. Jane handed over a candle, but then, according to a newspaper account, the instant she did so, however, he threw off his outer garment and, applying the light candle to his breast, presented a most hideous and frightful appearance and vomited forth a quantity of blue and white flames from his mouth and his eyes resembled red balls of fire. The creature then grabbed Jane by the back of her neck, scratched her with metallic claws, tore her clothes, ripped out chunks of her hair. Jane screamed, ran towards the house. It caught her on the steps, tore into her neck and arms with his claws. Jane's sisters then came across it, dragging her down the stairs. They had to scream for the police to get the assailant to run, to run away. She would survive physically, but mentally never seemed to fully recover. The next attack reported nine days later. 18-year-old Lucy Scales was attacked on February 28, 1838. Lucy and her sister were heading home after visiting their brother in Limehouse. As they passed along Green Dragon Alley, they saw someone standing in a passageway wearing a large black cloak and carrying a small lantern like those used by the police. Lucy walked just ahead of her sister. As she passed by this person, he opened his cloak, puffed some of the flame from his lamp into his mouth, and spurted a quantity of blue flame into her face. She was blinded, dropped to the ground, seized with violent fits which continued for several hours. Lucy's brother heard his sister screaming, uh, ran to find him, our sisters. He watched the attacker flee and described him to the police as tall, thin, and gentlemanly. The man didn't run but walked quickly. Was that the same creature earlier identified as Spring-Heeled Jack? or a copycat, a man preying on the hysteria surrounding earlier attacks to cause further harm. The Times reported both these attacks in March of 1838. They also gave an account of the trial of Thomas Milbank, who had bragged that he was spring Jack. But then Milbank was dismissed on account that he could not breathe fire, as Jane and Lucy described. <laughs> as strange as trials can be now, they were stranger in 1838. Uh, the Brighton Gazette reported another attack on April 14th. A gardener in Rose Hill, Sussex, was terrified by a strange creature he claimed to witness climbing his garden wall. The gardener said he saw something in the shape of a bear or some other four-footed animal. It growled and ran at him in all fours. The man's large dog was too terrified to defend him, and the gardener and dog both fled in terror. The beast chased them for a bit and then suddenly leapt away, easily and quickly scaling the high garden wall. After the attacks and attention given to Spring Hill Jack in 1838, the figure, referred to as a he went to become a popular boogeyman of sorts all across England. He became a character in a number of cheap penny dreadfuls, many referencing him as spring Hill Jack, the Terror of London. 
where he was portrayed as everything from a petty thief to a supernatural menace. Parents would tell stories about this jumping devil to scare kids into behaving. Mysterious unsolved crimes would be attributed to to Jack by sensationalist reporters looking to sell more papers. This elusive monster had now become firmly embedded in Victorian nightmares. Meanwhile, supposed eyewitness reports of Spring Hill Jack continued popping up all over the country, if less frequently and from less substantial sources as the occurrences in 1838. Copycat attackers were captured here and there, trying to take advantage of the legend. In July of 1847, a Spring Hill Jack investigation took place in Tinmouth, which led to a man listed as Captain Finch being convicted of assaults against women. He committed the assaults while disguising himself in a skin coat, skull caps, horns, and masks. Three decades later, in 1877, Spring Hill Jack made a series of appearances at the Aldershot military base, where he harassed and terrified many, including a sentry guard that August. The soldier noticed a figure approaching him, warned the man to back off, but he didn't listen. The figure then rushed up towards the guard with alarming speed and slashed him across his face. The sentry then fired at him, but either missed or the bullet had no effect. The soldier stated the figure quickly disappeared after the rushed attack into the dark with astonishing bounds. A decade later, in the fall of 1888, Spring Hill Jack now appeared at Newport Arch in Lincoln, Lincolnshire, Lincolnshire, wearing a sheepskin. An angry mob cornered him, shot directly at him numerous times from close range, and the bullets had no effect. Spring Hill Jack once again impossibly managed to bound away. Fast forward 16 years to 1904, and Jack made what is considered his last confirmed appearance in Everton, Liverpool, where he was witnessed leaping inhumanly high up and down the street before jumping up onto a rooftop and then bounding away forever. What the hell was this thing? There are several theories about the truth behind Spring Hill Jack. One theory is mass hysteria. After the initial reports, people became so afraid they experienced such powerful anxiety and they psychologically manifested some sort of collective delusion. Mass hysteria, a very strange borderline paranormal phenomena all on its own. Another theory proposed by the mayor of London and law enforcement back in the 1830s was that young aristocrats conspired to play evil pranks on the residents of London, and then many imitators followed them in subsequent years once this boogeyman had been established and defined. A notable suspect for uh, for, uh, the source of all the imitation is Irish nobleman Marquess of Waterford, Henry de la Poire Beresford. Henry had a reputation of bad experiences with women and police officers. He'd been arrested for drunken fighting, for playing, quote, brutal jokes, and for vandalism. And he was allegedly willing to do anything for a bet. He also reportedly hated women. The Marquess was in London when the first attacks occurred, making him a prime suspect. Some modern paranormal researchers have proposed a theory that Spring Hill Jack is an extraterrestrial entity, some sort of alien that may have died or left the planet towards the end of the 19th century. Others think it may have been some sort of demon summoned by occult practitioners. Paranormal investigators and authors Lauren Coleman and Jerome Clark proposed the concept of a phantom attacker. Phantom attackers are human-looking beings perceived by the public as human criminals who display extraordinary physical abilities and cannot be caught by authorities. Most of the crimes attributed to Spring Hill Jack were never solved, and few seem to believe that many of the attacks could possibly be the work of some wealthy, malicious man or men playing a joke. What man can jump nine feet into the air? What type of man has claws? How is it possible for a man to spit blue flames from their mouth or seemingly suffer no effects from gunshots? The consensus in London back in 1838 was that Jack was a ghost made of flesh. 
Could that be possible? Could a ghost somehow become so powerful that it could take on a form almost human-like? The mystery of Spring Hill Jack will most likely never be solved. Yet another entry in the log of this world's strange, terrifying, and unexplainable events. So weird. That's yeah, a weird story. It's a very weird story. I just like how it really like revved people up. Apparently, you know, for a while there, especially I think in like late 1838, mid-1838, you know, like uh, people around London were, you know, genuinely terrified that they were going to run into this thing. Right. I'm sure. And, and then when they, later on, when parents started like weaving it into like bedtime, kind of like, ner- <laughs> like, right, uh, like almost nursery rhymes, yeah, or folklore. Like, yeah. Uh-huh, folklore just uh, to get their kids to behave, you know, like be good or Spring Hill Jack's going to get you. But then, I mean, it feels like there was somebody or something doing something. Yeah, because, somebody was doing something. Because people were being physically attacked. Right. So you can't if think it was, that. I mean, I guess you could to start with and then mass hysteria could take over, but yeah, I don't, but and, still. And that's people, what some people think is it just people in costumes attacking people. But the thing that, that makes them kind of like, uh, gives them pause there is the jumping. Right. And that's so weird. But of course <laughs> right. that takes me to like other weird things like St. Nicholas or like other yeah. like rooftop kind of, sure. you know, I'm like, is this just a weird mashup of things? Right. And I mean, and, and I mean it, maybe it never did jump that high. It could have been like, you know, the initial jumping report could have been exaggerated. Mm-hmm. And then as people sometimes do, then later people who say they see this thing, well, then they want to... They want to be in on it. In on it. So then they add that they saw it jump. And it could have been leading questions. You know, reporters could have been like, did you see it jump? Like the original? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Did it jump high? Oh, so high. Oh, at least high. nine feet, 10 feet maybe. Yeah, yeah. So it could be that or could be what they said. It could be some creature. Well, then there was that guy who like claimed it was him, but it, you know... Uh, For some of the attacks, the Irish... Uh, Oh no! There was that one guy, yeah, who got caught, and then they're like, "I love how they're like, well, no, you can't, you can't spit fire, so get out of here." I know that's the funniest thing of who, can, no one can spit fire, right? And, and if you were the person or the thing or whatever that could do that, that was doing this, you wouldn't be like, "Oh yeah, no, it's me. Look at this." <laughs> and I'm sure if it was somebody doing it, it was something where they they probably put like some kind of oil or you know like like gasoline equivalent in their mouth, <sighs> and then as people have done, you know, like uh, yeah, like carnival, a, you know, mm-hmm. performers, and then you blow on a candle the right way, and that's how you get your flame. Yeah. What a weird thing, but funny that like, there were copycats. Mm-hmm. And, and that, I mean, to me, that's as if it was mass hysteria or if we're like thinking about that as an option and then one person copycats, then lots of people probably copycat it. Yeah, yeah. We see that with serial killers all the mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. True. Do you want to see a few pictures? I do. Uh, this first one is the DVD cover to a 2008 British low-budget indie film it about looks, Spring Hill Jack. It looks low-budget. It is. <laughs> uh, I like these other ones uh, more here. This next one is the cover of an old 1904 uh, Penny Dreadful. That's fun. Yeah, the Penny Dreadful is like early pulp fiction published serially in weekly installments, almost like early graphic novels. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, this next one's another Penny Dreadful cover. That was like Batman almost. Yeah, yeah. But there I, he is again. That's funny you mentioned uh, Batman. Um some people think that the Spring Hill Jack legend mm-hmm. is what greatly influenced the creation of Batman. Well, I mean, just look at that mm-hmm. character. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, yeah. Yeah, the way it's drawn and stuff. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, and that whole lore about like a wealthy, mm-hmm. like a risk playing pranks. Yeah. Kind of like, you know, uh, the whole Bruce Wayne Batman situation. Except he doesn't play pranks. He saves people. True. But like, it's, you know. But, but no, and, I, I yeah, know. I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, joking yeah. Oh, around. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, this uh, one more cover. This is, uh, yeah, just another um, spring-heeled Jack early Penny Dreadful. And that one actually, um, this picture comes from the Billy Ireland Cartoon Library and Museum, a research library of American cartoons and comics on the campus of Ohio State University. 
Ohio State. I think they have the biggest collection of Spring Hill Jack stuff. That's so cool. Yeah. Okay, so well, random. The Buckeyes. Uh, ne- next time we're in Columbus. Check out some Spring Hill Jack That would be uh, so covers. cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you can. I mean, you can't always access everything, but if you yeah. can. Mm-hmm. Fun. Ohio. Really bringing it. <laughs> it's the best there. You know what I mean? <laughs> totally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love to talk about Ohio. I do like Ohio. Oh, I feel like Ohio and Idaho are similarly similarly underrated states. How so? Well, I feel like um, maybe people who haven't been to either one, Mm -hmm. it's not like where they would think of like as a destination spot. Oh, yeah. But then you go there and you're like, oh, yeah, okay, cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's so much to do here. Mm -hmm. The people are great. I mean, the the secret's got, word's gotten out more about Idaho. I feel like um, about like being a great like outdoors, you know, Mm -hmm. scenic beauty. But Ohio, I think like Cleveland was the butt of jokes for so long. You know, with the Browns and... Uh, when will the river catch on fire? <laughs> right. And the, yeah, early like uh, pollution problems and stuff. Mm-hmm. But then you go there and you're like, oh, this is a really cool city. It is really cool. And now. there's other cool cities, you know, Cincinnati. Cincinnati was Cincinnati. Cincinnati. But Cincinnati's, I think, a really cool city. Columbus has a lot going on. There's a lot yeah. of stuff in Ohio. I don't know if Columbus ever really was shit on the way that... Just because I think when you're a college town, you just get more credence True. in general. But I think like 15, 20 years, like nobody other than Ohio State... Nobody thought of Columbus outside of Ohio. Mm, no, not really. Now it's got like cool science museums and yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many things, so many museums, so many art galleries. Yeah. They get lots of great concerts, shows, theater. They have mm-hmm. great shopping now. Yeah, they've really expanded what they have to offer. Yeah. Well, you know, Ohio. There you go. I mean, even NPR is advertising Ohio now. I know. Like, that's so th- interesting. It throws me off every time I listen to one of their podcasts. And I mean, just like any other podcast, they have sponsors. Mm-hmm. And right now, like Jobs Ohio is their thing. And it's like, the cost of living is low. The, you know, there's plenty of jobs to be had. And it's, m- my family's still, you know, yeah. almost all entirely there. And yes, there is inflation everywhere. We're all feeling it. But it hasn't hit as hard there. Mm-mm. Even their gas prices, because we were just with my mom and my aunt, uh, on a trip and mm-hmm. they were like comparing they're like oh the gas here the gas there kind of doing that's always the thing that i think people can sure easily relate to and they're like well i guess it's not that much m- more or less than it was in hawaii which was sort of shocking to them they expected like oh if it's four dollars in cleveland then it must be seven dollars everywhere mm-hmm. else you know so they were talking about that and then they were talking about how much money people are making and well, how much is a gallon of milk here how much is a gallon of milk there <laughs> yeah. like all these cross references and they were really in a lot of shock about how affordable Ohio still yeah, is, yeah. which is great. It's a great place. Great place. We should go there. We should visit sometime. <laughs> we'll check it out sometime. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, okay, do you have a squishy squish? I do. I have a OG style Layla. I, there's a specific reason I gave you that one this week that you'll find out at the very end of the shout outs. Okay. Like way, way at the very end of this episode. Cool. <laughs> okay, well, are you uh, ready to hear an anonymous story about a haunted military base? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You ready? I'm ready. <laughs> oh, you took your glasses off. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta get the. Uh, I still have to take them in to get the frames formed, like my new prescription. Oh yeah. So. Well, I like your new glasses. Thanks, I like them too. They're very cute on you. Thank you. You're welcome, and your haircut's nice too. Oh, finally get a haircut. Yes. Yeah, Dan was looking rough. A little shaggy. Yeah, little shaggy. Uh, okay, before I dive into the story, one of the things that I think makes this story sort of interesting is that, or, or questionable, I shouldn't even say interesting, is that the person is drinking when the first encounter sort of happens. And it got me thinking about like all the times, I mean, you experiment with hallucinogens more than I do, mm-hmm. but like in those phases of your time when you're doing those things, uh, like if you saw something then, 
would you give it any credence? Would you think like, oh my God, I definitely saw something. Like, I know I was fucked up, but I definitely saw this. I guess, yeah, maybe, maybe, but it depends on how, like, it'd have to be so blatant mm. because like my experience is like, you know, I haven't, I don't know that I've ever seen something that wasn't there in a certain way. Like, like, like I might see like, okay, I think I recognize like a friend who's not there, but that, but it's not someone just out of nowhere. It's like, I'm seeing a person uh-huh. and my brain's changing their face. <laughs> like it's changing. Like, uh, like, I, I don't know that I've seen like a tree where there was just empty space mm-hmm. like like that kind of thing you're not the, completely making something up no from nothing. i don't think like i'll see a tree that doesn't look like it's supposed to look <laughs> like and i and i have a lot of like, questions about reality in those moments and i and i know people's faces like bend and twist and sometimes look really scary and like but but i don't know that i've just seen like a new entity mm. show up out of nowhere i might okay. i might twist like a painting into a person like like weird things like that okay but but I but I so it'd have to be really blatant, like like if a like if a creature walked into the room and I'm hearing it and seeing it and all that kind of stuff. Even under, I'd have to be so messed up on really powerful hallucinogens. I think to not to not think later like oh maybe that was a real thing. Okay, okay, so it's some way to like justify yeah. it and think like oh I didn't see a creepy thing that was my dog walking. Where right. I thought like I saw a four-legged thing sort of like eh, crawling around being creepy. Yeah, or like I'll space off and in my brain I'll think I'll, I'll think someone's walking into the room mm-hmm. or something like that. But then when I kind of like shake my – it's like, no, there's nobody there. But I will say I've, other people I've talked to and maybe – and I'm sure maybe in the future some other trip that could happen. Great. Reasons for me not to hallucinate. He's got to do so much to get there. Ooh, I don't know. Well, I, I think it's it's pretty interesting to just think about like – from the, the angle of when you're on drugs or you're drinking, your inhibitions are lowered, right? Like liquid mm-hmm. courage. People say things like that all the time. Like, oh yeah. my God, I did that. I was drunk. I was so stupid. I didn't know what I was doing. I wonder if in the same way that your inhibitions are lower, is it the same as like when you're little and you're more open to spirits? Like, do you kind of open yourself up more when you're drunk or on drugs because you're not as resistant to things? Yeah, maybe. That makes sense. Made sense to me, and that's kind of where this story took me. So let's dive in. Hey, Dan and Lindsay, I discovered your Scared to Death podcast by accident and have spent the last month listening to all of the episodes, and now I recently moved on to Time Suck. Thank you for helping me burn through my drive time and house cleaning. Now on to my story. Several years ago, I was in the military and stationed at an old cavalry fort that has been around since the 19th century and has been since converted into a large Air Force base. The barracks building I lived in was previously a stable. It was modernized sometime in the 1950s and then updated again in the 1980s. The rooms were single occupancy dorm rooms with a shared bathroom. The rooms were approximately 12 by 12, so very small. My entry door led to a shared hallway The wall to the left was shared with another dorm room, and the wall to the right was shared with the bathroom. The last wall was an exterior wall with a window that had no access from the outside as I was on the third floor. I tell you all of this because it will help you understand some of the events that happened to me. One Friday night, my friend had a party in his room on the first floor of our barracks. We were all between 18 and 20 years old, so shenanigans and heavy drinking was the plan. Being a highly competitive person, I proceeded to drink most of a (laughs) bottle of some cheap tequila in the first two hours of the party and found myself hugging my friend's toilet before most of the other people arrived. 
At some time during the party, someone brought out an Ouija, a Ouija board, and the 10-plus people there proceeded to drunkenly attempt to contact spirits. I was unaware that any of this was happening because I was lying on the cold bathroom <laughs> floor dry heaving. At some point in the evening, the lights came on in the bathroom. I figured it was someone coming in to use the facilities, and so I was trying to crawl away from the toilet to make room for them. Once I got against the wall, I noticed that the light was not on at all, but there was a glowing face creating the light. I don't know how else to describe what I saw. The best way I can describe it is an orb with facial features. Whoa. The glowing face yelled at me, a woman's voice saying, make them stop. Maybe it was because of my advanced state of intoxication, but I was not scared in the least. I started moving towards the door. The voice followed me out of the bathroom, repeating the same phrase over and over. Stop them, stop them, stop them. I managed to crawl to the center of the dorm room while everyone laughed at me. I slapped the Ouija board off the table and then passed out. <laughs> the next thing you know, it's 5 a.m. and three of my friends woke me up as they came back from a Taco Bell run. It turns out that all of the previous events had happened before 9 p.m. and I had actually had a full night's sleep. A weird detail I clearly remember... A weird detail. I clearly remember everything from the moment I saw the face orb, but everything before that is hazy. I recognize that this could be dismissed because I was incredibly drunk, but that doesn't explain the following series of events. I made my way back to my room and my bed. As soon as my head hit, uh, as soon as my head hit the pillow, sorry, that's weird. As soon as my head hit the something got erased here. Oh, <laughs> uh, I, I, Okay. It was a very early Saturday, and I thought it was weird that I didn't hear the sounds of people running up and down the hall. Dismissing it, I went back to bed, and then again, three loud knocks came. Hmm. I yelled, fuck off, thinking it was my still drunk friends screwing with me. But then it happened again. Three knocks at the door. After a few seconds, the knocks moved from the door on the wall like it was a person walking away, stopping every few steps to knock another three times. Then there were three more knocks further down the wall again, and then even further. And then the knocks shifted to the left wall that was shared with the dorm room next to me. I was annoyed by whoever was screwing with me, but this did get my attention. The doors to the rooms were wooden, heavy. I could hear my neighbor every time he opened and closed the door. So how was it he had gotten into his room without me hearing? Further, the guy next to, the guy next door was a douche nozzle with whom my friends did not associate. So there was no way he was in on this prank. I wondered who the hell was knocking. I wasn't exactly scared, but more alert and listening. The knocks moved down the left wall and closer to my bed, which was at the end of the wall in the corner. The knocks continued down the wall, always three hard knocks at the same tempo and volume. Then the knocks were next to my bed, at which point I got up from the bed and took a couple of steps back. It was the next set of knocks that had me scooby-dooing my ass out the door. <laughs> the next set of knocks came from the outside wall that was three stories up from the ground. It was close to 6 a.m., so I jetted to my car and drove off to find breakfast. The knocking continued every night that I slept in that room and was heard by several people over the next few months. Over four months, I maybe slept in that room a total of five times six at the most, and only when I had no other choice. I actually started dating a girl just so I wouldn't have to sleep in my room. She was very pretty, but had a voice like a cat hit by a train. <laughs> she was from Boston and used, <sighs> and used the words chief and wicked way too much. Nevertheless, I made it work so I could sleep at her place and not my own. We broke up the day before I was flying back home for vacation, so I had no choice but to sleep in my room. That night, 
everything came to a head. The knocking was constant and all over the walls and now the furniture as well. At some point in the night, I just yelled out, stop, and immediately it did stop. No sound at all, which was just as fucking scary. To this day, I have no idea how the hell I managed to fall asleep. I had a very vivid dream of which I can remember every detail. I was lying in a dark room in a bed. There was a flickering light, like a candlelight, but there was no candle to be seen. The sheets and the blanket were black, and I was holding hands with someone. Next to me was a partially decomposed face staring back at me. The moment our eyes met, it started to scream a scream that is best described as coyotes with an amplifier. I woke up, sitting up straight in bed, that scream ringing in my ears. The exact moment I realized I'd been dreaming, I heard three loud knocks. I grabbed my bags and got the fuck out. I got to the airport a full five hours before my flight. When I got back two weeks later, everything had stopped. Along my journey of life, I became a Catholic. When you become a Catholic, you have to take a year of classes called RCIA. Hmm. I was solo in my RCIA classes, so they ended up being me and the priest hanging out for a couple hours every week. I told him the story that I just relayed to you, and he said, that was demonic oppression. Maybe it was, I have no idea. Maybe Lindsay can recommend a good fuck-off demon crystal, <laughs> just in case. Um, and that's, yeah, that's the end. That was anonymous, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's great. So, so like... In this building, th- like this uh, former um, cavalry, uh, you know, like uh, where they would have the horses and stuff, um, that became like these dorms. Mm-hmm. That's where the party took place. Right, right. Because the and then the the yeah. stables are now barracks. Stables, yeah. Stables become barracks, yeah. And then and then they have the party there. And that's where you have the, the tequila. <laughs> gets drunk, sees sees the face, right? The floating orb, the face. floating orb face knocks the Ouija board away mm-hmm. from the people, like because this face feels like this face is telling him to do that, right? And then afterwards is when right after that is when the series of like excuse me three knocks you're so burpy today i know i know i just i guess what did you have choice. for lunch i had i had uh bangers and mash with jeff so probably not the best choice i went light on the mash but the but the but the sausage i literally like i don't even know what to say to you this morning as you left the house you I know, said I, know. I am gonna start making yeah way better food choices. But that's where you wanted to go and i but i didn't eat a lot of it so that was i ate way less than jeff and he's a lot smaller than me so that's a <laughs> that's a strong choice oh boy and i'm gonna have less stuff throughout the rest of the day uh-huh. I, already have, I already have a smoothie for later but um so, that, but then this series of knocking starts, and then he like in his around his room where it sounds right. like like someone's coming down the hall almost. Then he goes to like dates his Boston girl, and then stays there. That's and, so funny to me. <laughs> and stays until the last night when there's like e- even more like again like the bad dream, the demon, the decomposing face, and then like the knocking again. Mm-hmm. So, it all, but it all started with that messing around with somebody else, not even him, right. messing around with that Ouija board. Mm-hmm. Huh? Interesting. So, like when you were saying earlier about like, would you believe it? You know, if you saw something under the influence of something, mm-hmm. I mean, I've never been so drunk where I've hallucinated. I, and I've, I've been blackout drunk many times. I have never been blackout but, drunk that I can, oh. that I, went, I, can think I went of. through a couple years of binge drinking in college where it was just like, we would just joke about how often we blackout, which is terrible looking back. It's Were there any good, girls that blacked out? It's not good for out? your brain. Um, they usually didn't go as uh, balls to the wall as we went. And I only asked that some. because my brother went through a phase where he would get blackout drunk pretty regularly. And my mom and I would find him in the bathroom hugging the toilet. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, so, we, we just thought it was, I mean, looking back again, so insane. It's like, it was just kind of expected that you would get drunk until you puked and blacked out on a weekly basis. Um, but, but I've gotten drunk. I don't remember ever seeing something. But I've gotten drunk and thrown up and then gone to bed, but not like blackout where I'm like, what happened? 
Is that what constitutes oh, yeah. the blackout? You don't know there, what's there, happening? Yeah, you do. Well, like, <laughs> David Tell, used to, uh, one of his old albums that had a great joke about it. He's like, he's like, um, I used to drink until I blacked out, or as I call it, time traveling. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, and it was such a funny, I can't remember exactly how to do it, but he's like, uh, you're in a bar, you're, you're having drinks. It's like, then, then you, um, then you, then you wake up, like you're, you're in the car, like the sun's coming up, you're out. Then you wake up, you're, you finish making love with a pirate. You put her arm back on. It was just like, it was this crazy, like, <laughs> I, I wish I could, it was one of his best jokes, but anyway, or one of his, uh, but you but never yeah. hallucinated something and in, no, in the no. heaviest of mm-mm, drinking mm-mm. and even never with in, alcohol. and even in heavy drug use, you've never come out of it and thought like, oh my God, that was so weird. I saw this thing. Oh, again, seen things, but not things that come that are like on their own. That are organic. Yeah, like the last incident incident where it's like when that tool concert a couple what a month ago two ago mm-hmm. when it's like uh, it was uh, powerful hallucinations where like what I thought was happening around me was not happening. Right. But I was seeing things that were there, just not as they were. If okay. that makes sense. It like does. I, I would see lights from the band, but it looked like the show I was watching was not the same show <laughs> as well. But, but but I was watching a show. Right. You know, it's like, but but I don't remember like even moments like that or being on a lot of acid, seeing like a face come out of nowhere right. and talk to me. But I suppose that could happen. But 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 on but, but but this it, thing, but, yeah, more things happen afterwards. Right. So that was my follow-up question yep. is like, so even in those weird moments of like, oh, I know what I'm seeing is not real. Yeah. You haven't had a moment of that. And then afterwards, a follow-up event. Right, right. Because that, that's what that's what makes it like um, very different to me. It's like, it doesn't even matter what you were on for the initial thing. Mm-hmm. If, if the follow-up things happen, mm-hmm. then, then it's like, okay, well, then you probably did see something. I mean, well, the f- not but, just hallucinated. Well, you the know? knocking specifically is mm-hmm. like, but why? Like, if he, if if that little floating orb face right. was like, hey, make them stop, and he did, and he made them stop. Why you got to hang around? Well, maybe, maybe they too brought late. something in. Maybe yeah, maybe they brought exactly. Maybe they brought something in, and mm-hmm. the, and the knocking in sets of three. I know the three. That is a thing that comes up. I mean, and you could say like we talked about with Spring Hill Jack, like copycat or whatever. Like it gets in our heads, and then maybe we manifest it. But I do find it very interesting. That that is something that comes up and it goes it supposedly speaks to, uh, speaks to like numerology mm-hmm. and um, and there are you know in the occult three is a powerful number and then people assign the number three with like uh, demonic presences sometimes mm-hmm. in certain like aspects of, like Christian lore but it is interesting that it comes up so much where it'll be like three scratches three a.m. three a.m. three uh, knocking and you know three times in sets of three. Mm-hmm. It's it's very weird. Well, because it's representative of the Holy Trinity, right? Father, the Son, yeah, and so the Holy Spirit. Yeah, so they're mocking the Trinity. I think mm-hmm. is the is the Christian lore aspect of it. Mm-hmm. That's how the devil. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, is mocking the Trinity. I know. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Well, in case you need some protection crystals, just good to reference, like, by the way. The, the the Trinity. Oh, that's oh. where it comes from. Yeah. I mean, I was Catholic for so many years. <laughs> uh, but in, in case you need some, uh, you know, get the fuck out of here crystals, fuck off demon crystals, a peridot, which is like a soft green crystal, mm. uh, is associated with protection and purity and emotional balance. So it'll just like keep you maybe not freaking out as much. You could also use uh, shungite. 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 It's like a, a black, shiny crystal. And Are these real minerals or is this like what people just made up names for? Other minerals. I'm, I'm honestly asking. It's real. Okay. Because sometimes I do it because I because I have gone to crystal stores to buy you crystals for gifts. Mm, you have. Yeah, a couple times. You know that. 
Yeah, you've got gifts oh. of crystals before in the I past. I was thinking about how like our friend Doug gave me one because mm-hmm. I blinked on you doing it too. But, but, when, but when I've gone, it's like, <laughs> I try not to laugh because I know that everybody else there is taking it seriously. Mm-hmm. But when I look at a lot of the names for the stuff mm-hmm. in my head, I'm definitely like, get the fuck out of here. But do you ever look it up later? Mm-hmm, I have looked it up and, and numerous times. It's like, it's not a real, it, it's just like a nickname more. For some kind of some kind of rock or crystal or crystal crystal okay but to me mm-hmm. to counteract that it's like there will be scientific names for a lot of things that we then give a more common That's true. name yeah you know like what is the real name of like some uh, uh oh like a Z pack yeah zithromycin yeah yeah no one's going around saying oh I'm taking zithromycin it's like no we call it a Z pack because it's easier I see yeah you're right. Dick. Yeah. I mean, honey. Uh, okay, so anyways, mm-hmm. Shungai is like a black, shiny crystal, uh, and it helps. It's like a, gets rid of like bad vibes, bad juju. Uh, you could like, it's like one that you could carry in your pocket to like make you feel better, yeah. keep bad people's energy away from you. And then one of my favorites, smoky quartz, and sometimes it's like a smoky gray color. It can have a little bit of yellow in it. And that's the one I sleep with under my pillow uh, to keep away like bad dreams. It's for tranquility, can give you a little strength. Just a little helpful. Okay. Okay. You hated that part. <laughs> oh, you're a good sport. You're you're a good try. sport, Dan. Well, you know, you you could try harder. Oh boy. Oh boy. Okay. Well, are you ready for my less spoopy tale? Yes. Uh, but more of like a, a confirmation tale. I mm, love. I like this. those. Mm-hmm. Me too. And I really love this one. It's really fun. Uh, and it takes place in a college campus, which I haven't. We haven't really explored that much as like a haunted place. But if you think about old, especially old East Coast colleges, you would think that there would be like a significant amount of hauntings at, I don't know, Harvard. Mm-hmm. Oh. Just a place where people have lived for a long time. For so long. It's been there for so, so long. There's still so many of the old original buildings. There's going to be more tragedies, the older places. Sure, of course. Mm-hmm. I don't know. College campus seems like such a good place for hauntings. Because mm-hmm. there's of, a lot of people. A lot of times they have old spooky looking buildings. Yeah. I guess we did have that story that Sophie helped start uh, the research on of like a haunted dorm. Now that I think back on it, mm-hmm. like running up and down a hallway yep, or something. Yep, yep, we did have that one. I think supposedly, I think like the uh, theater at Gonzaga when I was there. Now I remember like flashing back, like I remember hearing people say it was haunted. Maybe I've heard, it I've heard is. That about, I've heard that about numerous theaters for some reason. Now is it because more theaters are haunted or because more theater people are dramatic? Hmm. Hmm. I don't know. Oh, I have a story coming up soon about a similar is a similar question will be answered. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, here we go. Uh, hi, Dan and Lindsay. My name is Jamie, and I'm still somewhat new to the podcast. I've been slogging my way through the back catalog, so maybe by the time you read my story, if you do, I'll be all caught up. This story isn't so much scary, but just creepy and unexplained, but hopefully it's a nice change of pace. I attended undergrad at the University of Pittsburgh, and one of the school's big tourist draws are the nationality rooms, which are rooms in our main academic building called the Cathedral of Learning. There are over 30 rooms, and the interiors are each assigned to different countries, and inside are different styles and decor that represent the country. I was a tour guide for these rooms, which meant a lot of time spent in them. In my last year of college, I was also someone who trained the new guides. One of our rooms was the early American room, which was designed to look like a colonial room from the late 1700s. It was one of the rare rooms that was actually not accessible to the general public. There was a glass door that you could look in to see the room, but you could not actually go inside. The main reason behind this was that the room was full of antiques and we didn't want any damage done to them. 
If you were on a guided tour, the tour guide would take you inside, but then shut the glass door and turn the deadbolt so no one else could come in. To describe the room, you entered into what was the dining room slash living room area of the so-called house, which had a low ceiling. One of our tour guide's tricks was that there was a closet with two secret switches, which when opened would reveal a secret staircase to the second floor of the room, which was just a continuation of the tour. This upper part was a bedroom with a... with. This upper part was a bedroom that was behind a rope. The tour guide went behind the rope while the public stayed on the other side. This part of the room is where we would have fun with the tour. Some of the items here belong to a woman named Martha, who was related to the director of the nationality rooms. These items included eyeglasses, a Bible, and a cradle. Part of our tour story was that this room was haunted by Martha, and it wasn't uncommon for her to appear. Her appearance was typically through the rocking of the cradle. In reality, if there was another guide on the tour, the second guide would stay downstairs and use a pole that we would slip between the cracks of the floor and nudge the cradle. The people on the tour wouldn't be able to see the pole and instead would see the cradle start to rock. The guide upstairs would act freaked out, saying Martha was there and gave the tour a good story. This is a lot of backstory, but it's super important to what happens next. One Friday afternoon, I met with Katrina, who was a new tour guide I was training. We went to all the other open rooms and ended with the early American room. This was toward the end of Katrina's training, and she was good, so it was less giving training and more like letting her practice and us just goofing around. We went up to the room, and we were just going through it all. The Bible in this room that belonged to Martha was small, like a pocket-sized Bible, and clearly not the full book. Being a religious studies minor, I was curious by what all was in it, and so I told Katrina, you know what? I've been curious about this Bible. I want to have a look at it. So I picked it up, flipped through the pages, and then set it down, seeing that it was just the Old Testament. We finished up and went to leave. I grabbed the knob for the deadbolt and turned it with the lever moving. I went to pull the handle, and it wouldn't budge. The deadbolt was still locked. This was odd, especially since I'd been in this room so many times that locking and unlocking this deadbolt was like muscle memory. Thinking maybe I just wasn't sure, I tried another way. The lever churned again, but the door still wouldn't unlock. I tried once more the other way, but again, nothing happened. Katrina laughed and said, oh, that's a good one. None of the other guides have trained me on that one, thinking I was joking that the lock was broken. I told her I wasn't joking and stepped away to let her try. She tried as well, but the same thing. The lever would move, but the door wouldn't unlock. I'd never experienced an issue with this lock and was very close to calling Samuel, our boss, who was in his office. However, a thought entered my mind. I took a step away, looked up towards the ceiling slash floor of the upstairs and loudly proclaimed, I'm sorry for touching your Bible, Martha. I won't do it again. (laughs) And after that, I tried the deadbolt and it unlocked and we were able to leave the room. When we went to the office, I asked Samuel if anyone else was having issues with that door, thinking maybe that the lock had been acting funky. However, he told me that no one else was having issues and in fact, the lock had been recently uh, had maintenance on it. This confirmed to me that Martha was mad that I had touched her stuff and was teaching me a lesson. After that, I never touched her things again. As a related note, I worked in the gift shop for the nationality rooms on Saturdays, and part of my job was to lock up all of the rooms at 4 p.m. Based on the route I chose, the early American room was the last one I would lock up, which required me to go inside it to turn off the lights. After that incident, I made it a habit to say goodnight to Martha as I locked up. Also, we would have holiday open houses for the nationality rooms where we would dress in traditional costumes from the period, and I was always in the early American room on the second floor where Martha resided. 
On my very last day of the job, after graduating, before I finished locking up, I said goodnight to Martha and told her I was leaving and wouldn't be back. I thanked her for being cool with me (laughs) after the incident and said that I would miss her. I then felt a warm, calm sensation come over my body. I like to think it was Martha thanking me for everything and letting me know that we were okay. Thanks for reading and sharing my story. I know it's not the normal scary story stuff, but it was just a strange experience that still lives with me to this day. Jamie. Thanks, Jamie. Good one, huh? Yeah, that's good. And, and, and I like those, like, um, she said, like, you know, just the experience. Oh, sorry. He, uh, just, Jamie said this uh, experience. I thought about Jamie Hawk. So oh, my mind went okay. to uh, the, the the female Jamie. But, um, you know, like, like ah, just an experience I had. I, I just wonder when I hear stories like that, like how many of those experiences are out there. Mm-hmm. You know, like Joe was just talking about like an experience like, you know, he had, uh, you know, more at his house. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, Logan was just talking about an experience, you know, he had. And when you bring this kind of stuff up just outside the show and people like, you know, hey, what do you do? And, you know, to describe like the Scared to Death podcast. I'm amazed like in you know, Ubers or whatever when I'm touring by myself. How many people are like, oh, well, I have a story that, you know, for you. It, it's just. I mean, millions, mm-hmm. millions and millions. It just makes me, we talked about like confirmation, think of like uh, the totality of all that. Mm-hmm. They, mm-hmm. Can't, they can't all just be coincidence, coincidences and nonsense. No, there's no way. Mm-hmm. I thought when we sat down to record today, you and Joe, I was, I don't know, distracted reviewing my stories, but you said oh, yeah. you saw like a little yeah, I don't know, light like, like or something? Uh, um, yeah, like I, I just thought it was a my glasses, you know, again, getting kind of like getting used to new glasses, mm-hmm. like the light hitting them in a weird way or almost like a little like foggy, wispy kind of like, you know, presence in my peripheral. But then Joe said he saw it too, which is weird. And then I saw. You said you saw it last night yeah, last too. night when I was just working by myself after you went to bed because you went to bed, you know, early, getting adjusted time zones again after vacation. Mm-hmm. And I was just at the um, dining room table by myself and thought I saw like a, a white ish form kind of like walk out of the kitchen and towards like uh the upstairs like again out of my okay. peripheral you didn't tell me how like definitive it was you made it sound like it was just like a little blip well, you didn't tell me that you thought my, you saw a white form that's pretty serious right but then when i really like looked i didn't see anything and i was like well and again i was like you know working tired and i was like ah maybe it was just the my glasses like a smudge or something and I don't, I don't think you see a smudge move from the kitchen to go upstairs. I know, but like, you know, like movement, maybe it's like, I don't know, mind playing tricks on me. I didn't see anything else. So interesting that you are the one who says you want to see something. I know, but I want to see it real clear. You're so quick to dismiss anything like that. It's mm-hmm. like, we have thought for a long time that there's been things that come and go from our house. Yeah. That is. I, I just want to see it like, I want to like look head straight away. You want it to like give you two like, thumbs up? Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ideally, I, ideally, it's not super scary. Ideally, I like it. Maybe it looks at me, and then I'm like, "Oh my god!" And then it hangs on for a second, and then it like, like I, then it like maybe moves on out of the house. Hopefully, it doesn't move to a different area of the house. Ideally, I would like it. Maybe it like comes out of the kitchen, and then it looks at me, and it's like, "Sorry, I thought I forgot something here." <laughs> maybe it said, maybe it says like, "Sorry, wrong house. I, I won't come back." And then it just leaves out the front door. Uh-huh. Then I get to have a strong experience and not worry about it coming back. Okay. Well, also, I'll just cleanse the house when we get home today. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. You'll you'll have to be there though, because if you're the one seeing it, you should help. I don't even know for sure what I saw. Well, just to be safe. Okay. Can't hurt anything. You might have brought something home from Hawaii. All right, maybe. It is a very spiritual place. Yeah, maybe I did. Maybe you did. Maybe I brought home a ghost who's like really good at shave ice or something. Oh, I love shave ice. I think it's okay. I do like it, but I don't crave it. Oh man, it's so good. I don't crave it when we're not there though. Like the two times we've ever been to Hawaii. It's not something I'm like, oh, we should go for shave ice. Mostly because places around here give you like 
not real shave ice. They give you like this like thick, chunky stuff. I like I like the it would be almost like the equivalent of like the Starbucks Frappuccino version of shave ice, that Uncle Shave Ice did, where it's like shave ice on top, but then they put cream on top of the shave ice, and then underneath the shave ice they put a bunch of macadamia nut ice cream. That was delicious. Mm-hmm. I liked the fresh shave the best. You did. Oh, it was so good. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well. Anyways, you want to do some Annabelle shout outs? I do. Do you want to do the first one so I get my pages separated? Sure. I will go first. Uh, we'd like to thank the following Annabelles for supporting the show. Sarah Walker. I just said that weird. Sarah <laughs> Walker. Shelby Strange. String. Morgan King. Tessa Anderson. Levi. Diane McQuaid. Brandon Carlisle. Kyla Renee. Olivia Fulce. Sean Leonard. Brenna Keefe. Jay Sheck, oh boy, Nam Yai Funsawat, I think that's right, Okay. Nam Yai Funsawat, Angie Tyler, Amber Lee Friday, Carolina Castro, Jennifer Moran, Cameron Drake, Michael Brewer, Betty Vargas, Anxious Horror, Cody Bennett, Danielle Marie Goodspeed, Summer Kohlberg, Richie April, Matthew Gunn, Bennett Kading, and finally, this happened to me. I've been saying since we started this show, how come like so many millions of people listen to podcasts? Yeah. Just one time, I want somebody to be like, hey, I went to I went to grade school with you. It finally happened to me. So, so you really did go to grade school with this person? Yeah, I got an email. Hi, Blake. Uh, this kid, Blake Williams. He was like, funny. And he heard me say that. He's like, well, here it is. Finally uh, happened. Funny. I was like, oh, this is so great. I'm so happy. <laughs> it was like a five second exchange, which just made my day. Oh, that's awesome. So thanks, Blake. When you said when you said uh, Brenna Fief, is that one of the names you said? Uh, boy, was that one of the first ones, Brenna Fief? No. I thought I, I thought I tried to write it down, but, but it was Renee. hard. Oh, Brenna Keefe. Brenna Keefe. There we go. Brenna Keefe. Uh, now I don't even want to say it. it's so stupid, it's so childish. But you can imagine what kids turned her last name into. Well, yeah, poor thing. I know. I'm like, how many times did that happened to her? So why'd you do that, Cummins? Like, like what you didn't experience the same shit? I did. Right. Oh, we'd have been quite a pair, Cummins and and Keefe. Mm-hmm. It would have been. <laughs> you know what it would have been. It would yeah. Have Cummins and Queef. Yeah. <laughs> There's children that listen to the show. Uh, well, well, if they know what Queef means, then they're. And if they don't, now the parents have to explain now it. Now the parents have to explain it. It's it's pretty fun to explain that one because it's pretty gross. <laughs> or just something the bodies do. <laughs> it just do. doesn't happen. It's pretty gross for a ch- in a childish way. But you, you're the one who thinks farts are gross. We don't talk about farts. There you go. But but because it's like, it's just like something, yeah, like it happens yeah, and we so just move on. So do farts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know why I took it to that place. I That was unnecessary. I should have just... You know what? Hey, I want to thank the following Annabelle. <laughs> I'm just mad at you for doing that because it's something only that boys make fun of girls for, and it's not our fault that no, it it's happens. Not, it's not, it's not. Actually, it's your fault for pumping all that air into our bodies. True. So I don't. I don't mind it. But it's never happened between us. But right, right, right. But even still, even if it had, but then like for you to like make it childish is like yeah. what makes it embarrassing for girls. Right. So I, that's I, not fair. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I, I and I but I haven't. These are the kind of talks that we have to have. But I haven't. But I haven't like uh, really even thought of that term. So it's just like a junior high flashback. Mm-hmm. That's when I think it happens. Mm-hmm. That's okay. what makes girls embarrassed. Oh boy. And, yeah. Oh man. You really dug yourself a hole, my friend. I, I didn't. I fell <laughs> quite a queef, queef hole there. I want to thank the following Annabelles: Joseph Durnitz, Durnitz, uh, tired since '01, Sydney Smith Scott. Katie Eatman, uh, Michaelin DeVito. I hope I said your name right. 
uh, your first name. Uh, Jada Victor, Joanne Hayward, Tyson Lastly, Ashley Lamb, Misty Koenig, Connor Zander, Melissa Griffin, Tori Denny, Sharp Eyes, Thick Thighs. <laughs> I was like, yes, we should be friends. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, Brittany Marie Askew, Larry and Crystal, Chris Lopez, Kelly Lake, Tabitha Soufront, uh, or Soufran, uh, Mike Mitchell, Dylan and Demi Sanders, Joshua Rosati, or Rosati, uh, Dale Niren, Aubrey Frost, Shannon Ganther. I am constantly amazed by the, how many different kinds of last names there are. Mm-hmm. Like there's so, it feels like an endless amount. Well, I love it because I can start to tell when we get more international listeners. Mm. Because I'm like, most American last names are pretty obvious, but you can tell when like, oh, you're probably a first generation, right? Or you know, or you're in another country because this is so uncommon. Like I've definitely yeah. never heard this or or any iteration of it. In the last couple of generations, they don't do that anymore. Where they call Americanize them, like Ellis mm-hmm. Island, where they're like, uh, uh, my name is you know, Santo Renderini, and they're like, your name is. You know, Rini or what? Like right. they would just like shorten it. You know, like to, to people's names all the time. They're like, mm-hmm. nope, too tough to say. Now your name is this. My, oh, interestingly, my maiden name did not get. I know Radzeminski. Radzeminski made it through. Made it through. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We have a national park and everything. You got some spooky shoutouts. I do. All right, to Dallas from Arwin, happy birthday. To David from Jackie, happy belated birthday. To her Viking senpai from your squishy addicted brat Bree. Cheer up. I love you. And we got this. To Ryan from Stasha. Happy birthday, big brother. I love you. To Elias from your mom, Jacinta. Happy birthday. And then we have a super adorable special shout out to Layla and her dad, Frank. Layla sent in a super cute note to us. And then I want to share a drawing okay. that she did. Oh, uh, okay. So she says, Dear Dan and Lindsay, my name is Layla. I'm 10 years old. And my dad introduced me to Scare to Death maybe close to a year ago. Since then, every night I asked my dad, can we listen to Scared to Death? On my birthday, my dad bought me your dumb hoodie from Is We Dumb. <laughs> I, I have kind of lived in it for five months. Uh, Nothing creepy happens to me, so that's why I like watching your podcast. My dad just made me watch an episode of Time Suck. It's pretty good. After all, Lindsay, you're my favorite. No hate to you, Dan. I think you're my dad's favorite. <laughs> Lindsay, I love how every episode you show your fuzzy socks. Dan, I also love Layla the Squishy. In the end, I love both of you and have, and I hope you have a great day. P.S. There's one creepy thing that happened to me. It's my brother and my dad. Ha ha. <laughs> the end. And then... And wait, and what's her name? Layla. Layla. Right, Layla. And, and, and 10? 10 years old? Yeah, she's 10. Oh, boy. Now I feel really bad about my... I told... I, I, I know. I keep trying to tell you that children listen to the show. You don't listen. I forget. I okay. Forget. Okay. Shut your face. Okay. And so, anyways, Layla drew... Uh, look oh, wow. Look at... No, That's a good drawing. Show your Layla. Yeah. Nailed it. Nailed it. That's a really good drawing. Good job, Layla. Oh, my God. And so, you appropriately named your squishy and everything. It's like, how could we even know? That's so cool. So cute. Yes. Yeah, so, man. No help. Well, she's 10, not two. I know, but that's good. It is good. All right. Good job, Layla. Good job, Layla. I, I love kid letters. I have several mm-hmm. of them. Like when That was a well-written kid letter, too. It was. I print them out and hang them above my desk. and just Aww. makes me so happy. Well, that is our show. Thank you, Layla. Thank you for continuing to send in your personal tales of terror, everyone, to my story at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. You can email us for everything else at info at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. Thanks to Logan Keith, Liz Hernandez for the work on social media, to Logan again for running badmagicmerch.com. Thanks to Joe Paisley for producing and directing, uh, Zach Cohen for custom soundbed creation, Heather Rylander for organizing the My Story emails, and to book editor Drew Atana for polishing and preparing the listener stories for book number three. 
Thanks to producers Olivia Lee and Sarah Finch for working on today's second story, uh, the one that I told, and I found the first one. Subscribe to Bad Magic Productions on YouTube if you want to watch the show in addition to listening. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram if you want more content at Scared to Death Podcasts. We have a private Facebook group, Creeps and Peepers, full of many horror lovers at this point. Uh, thanks to Liz Hernandez for moderating. And if you don't want to hear more ads, if you want monthly bonus episodes, uh, want to check out our Patreon and get the entire catalog ad-free and so much more. Enjoy your nightmares, Creeps and Peepers. Hope you were scared to death. Bye. If spirits threaten me in this place, fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness and remove their powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings flee through time and space. Evil may pass through but have no home here within scared to death. Bad Magic Productions. 